What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Open Perspective. Uh, it's good to be back. It's uh, Playoff Sunday, so this is going to be a very interesting uh, one. I want to introduce David, who is the other half of this group. Hello, everyone. And uh, David, do you mind introducing our wonderful guest? Well, today's guest is actually, uh, I would say, a, a, for everyone listening that's been listening, most of you are probably car guys, Frankie... Trutanic is going to be our first car guest, if you will. So say hello to Frankie Trutanic. What's up, Frankie? What's going on, man? How's it going? Thanks it's, for having me. It's good, man. Thank you for being on. Um, so I said that because, like, one of my biggest things when starting this podcast was that I didn't want it to be car related. The real reason for that is just because I felt like everything in my life was car related and I wanted something that was non-car related. Um, and then John is also very deeply into car stuff. I think that he's not searching for non-car related stuff as much as I am, but it was kind of like a thing that we're like, oh, it's cool. We just won't do car stuff. But this, I say that you're the first like car guy guest, but I don't think this is going to be all car related, if that makes sense. Well, I feel honored to be the first car guest <laughs> ever. <laughs> but yeah, Pranky, so can you tell the people listening how they may know who you are? Um, from a milk carton, uh, <laughs> America's Most Wanted. Um, no, I'm just, a, you know, just an average Joe, but uh, recently I've been on a, a Netflix show, uh, Fastest Car uh, se uh season two um which is a really cool experience from uh whole casting process all the way through it was it was really cool that's cool man uh the funny thing is that when i first thought about having a podcast i was like who are some of the people that i think i could have on this podcast and you were actually one of the in in that first group of people that i was like you know what frankie would be someone that'd be good to have on here so it's not related to the fact that you were on the netflix show but that just kind of adds to it. And that's how some of the listeners might be like, wait, I know who this guy is. Or they may go watch the episode now and be like, oh, that's that guy. You know what I mean? Well, for sure, man. Thanks. Dude. That was a, you know, it's an honor to be on uh, for anyone to like listen to you and invite you to do something like this. It's always an honor. So thank you. Yeah, that's cool, man. Uh, I appreciate that, that you appreciate it. Um, one of the things for me that I think was cool is, so for those listening, the reason that I even know Frankie is that he came into Rywire, which is where I work, to have that car that's a, on a Fastest Car Wired. And uh, one of the things for me was that every time you come in, we kind of chop it up, and it was like a simple conversation, just like, you know, like hanging with any of the other guys. You know what I mean? So that's why I was always like, oh, it's cool. Frankie's one of those dudes that's cool to talk to, you know? Awesome. Likewise. Um, getting into that, though, can we, uh, can we find out a little bit more about you? Start out with, like, maybe uh, the younger you. I don't know how far back you want to go, but, like, where are you originally from? How would you get into car stuff? Um, well, I was, uh, I was born here in uh, Panorama City with the Kaiser Permanente over there. Um, <laughs> both of my parents are from... What is now Croatia, but they were from uh, Yugoslavia. Um, they're both immigrants here. Um, 
my dad was into cars, you know, so like that was a pretty natural progression. But then like I guess in the the younger years, you know, you just see like movies and like, dude, there was like this movie, uh, Love Bug. Oh man. And I, I remember, remember like dude, like I was like four or five when that came out and I was obsessed with bugs. Like obsessed <laughs> with Volkswagens. Oh, wow. Um I mean, to the point where, you know, like kindergarten, you're doing like a quilt, you know, so like every kid has like their box in the quilt, you know, oh, so yeah, to speak, yeah. or their square. My yep. square was a love bug. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and yes. then the the wheels for the bug. So you remember, you know, like the the reels that the yarn, uh, like sewing thread comes on, you know, the reels. Yeah, 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 if you peel the sticker off, some of them were like spoked back in the day. Yeah, yeah. So I cut the 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 face of it off, so it looked like a spoked wheel, mm. and then it was all <laughs> slammed on it. I, I wish I had it. I, maybe my mom has it. I don't know, but uh, it was pretty cool. But yeah, I was like obsessed with Love Bug, and like there's this whole like attachment to the Love Bug because it's just there's no way that a lo- a bug is winning any races. You know, and like <laughs> this thing's racing against like you know all the supercars of the day. I think right. the movie like takes place in the '60s, I, I believe. Yeah, um, yeah. But this bug is just like doing what it's got to do to win, like throwing oil at someone or you know, <laughs> yeah, I was jumping funny. something. Because you had mentioned that on um, fastest car, you mentioned uh, what is it, Herbie? Right? Uh-huh. And I'm thinking, do people really not know who the love bug is? Um, cause, maybe not. Because the way that you talked about it was like, oh, there's this old movie that maybe <laughs> people haven't seen. You know what I mean? And in my head, I'm like, if everybody knows who the love bug is. Well, oh, dude, I, like, you know, I have, a, I have a daughter that's 20 years old that 100% wouldn't know what love bug is. But maybe she does. I don't even know. I don't even I haven't even asked her. But but yeah, it is an old movie. And, you know, we live yes. in such a crazy world. Where there's like, remember when a movie would come out and you wouldn't see it on VHS or tape or whatever for like a year? Now mm-hmm. it's like weeks. Right away. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so now it's like you took too long to go watch it. It's out on DVD. Yep. Or Blu-ray or whatever. But yeah, no, I just thought it was it, it was funny to me because I'm like, man, I didn't realize. Like, I don't think about stuff like that. Like, there's things that I grew up on that I'm like, everybody knows about this. And then if you think about it, you're like, well, not necessarily. There's a lot of things that people probably don't know about. Oh, for sure. You know, so it's just interesting. That That's cool, man. I didn't realize that you were uh, originally from Southern California. Yeah, yeah. I uh, grew up in uh, Pacific Palisades. You know, my, my parents hustled and grinded to, to really afford to live here. Uh, we still own the house uh, as a family, um, and it's been remodeled and everything since then. But yeah, it's like uh, it's cool. Like, be growing up in the same area. I, I lived away for a while. I, I moved to Arizona to go to Universal Technical Institute when I was uh, nineteen. So that was like a definitely a, a interesting experience, you know, going from a more affluent neighborhood in the Palisades to the desert. Um, right. it was just cool. Like I loved it. I loved the experience and the the family I met. Uh, that I was really close with out there. It was just like life changing stuff, you know. That's cool. What um? So before let's get into that. Before you started, well, it was a uh, UTI, right? Uh huh. Okay. So before that, what what hands on experience did you have with cars? Um. 
basically like when they break down on the side of the road and trying to figure out how to get them home so like problem solving <laughs> you know but, but no like hobbyist stuff right you just have a car that <laughs> drove around and you're just like i need to fix it every once in a while so growing up uh my dad and i continuously restored a 1964 super sport impala nice uh, oh shit yeah nice. dude and this this was like so as we're winding down this build it was white with 10 interior, by the way, 327 power glide for all the people that cared about the <laughs> options. Um, it was a cool car. It was white with 10 interior. Every, it literally had every single option uh, outside of the 409 stick shift, but like interior package stuff. It was crazy. But we were finishing this car right as the height, like Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg. And it was... Uh, what was her first Literally. video? Blank well, on the name. Uh, uh, nothing but a G thing. That's the first video, yeah. Yeah, nothing but a G thing, right? And they had like God knows how many '64 Impalas in that. Just video. hopping down the street. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So here I am, 16 years old, in the height of probably the popularity of a '64 Impala. In Southern out- California, to top it uh, off. Yeah, outside of 1964 when they came out, it was probably you know, mid nineties. Right. Um, and yeah. I was like, dude, this is going to be my car. It's on wire wheels. It's got a little bit of like a gangster vibe in it. And I was like, dude, this is like, I'm going to have the most ridiculous experience in this car. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then a month, a month before my 16th birthday, my dad gets into a wreck with it and oh. pretty much totals it. Oh no. no. Yeah, dude. So <laughs> here was this like anticipation. It's like, yeah. dude, I'm going to get this holy grail car for the time. And then bam, like, yeah, it was a little defeating. Uh, one of the couple times I've seen my dad cry. Wow, um, that's crazy. I should say teary eyed, not crying, but, you know. Yeah, he, he, right. he shed a tear. Emotional, yeah. yeah. He, he had a <laughs> physical response to what happened. <laughs> that's interesting. So, like, you, I mean, you guys still spent time building that car together though did you guys have like a really close relationship because of that um you know what i would say like that was definitely some bonding time mm-hmm. but i think he utilized me more because like i had smaller hands and fingers and <laughs> doing those moldings on a 64 impala are <laughs> ridiculous i mean you have to be a part contortionist to assemble those cars with those clips and that, like the way all the molding snap in i mean but yeah I mean, we did. We had a good bonding experience outside all that. Like, uh, my dad and I are cool. You know, it's just different. You know, my dad's dad died when he was young, so he didn't really have a father figure. And then my dad, my uh, mom's dad, passed away. Well, he got killed in World War II. Um, oh, man. Oh, yeah. And my mom, my mom wasn't even born yet. She was still in the womb. So, like, she never met her dad. Right. Um so yeah, it's, it was interesting. I think like at the root of like raising, like I think the issues that came out were probably just from both of my parents' upbringing. And like I love them. I love my parents. You know, um, we definitely have a very interesting relationship to say the least. But uh, we're cool. You know, it's a, it's it's different uh, being born with immigrant parents. You know, like I I think that. I mean, now that I'm a parent, my kids are five years old. So, like, I, I feel like the last five years have been that this constant, like, am I doing this right? Am I doing this like my parents? Should I not be doing this like my parents? Like, 
there's just all this stuff that always comes up in my head, you know? And sometimes I think that, you know, the childhood that I had is because my parents were a certain way and my parents were that way because of how they were brought up, you know? And so in my head, I'm like, it's good because I'm okay. But then sometimes I'm like, maybe I should do things a little bit differently. I'm not sure, you know? So it's uh, like you, like you, my father's dad passed away when my, I think my dad was like 14, 13 or 14 years old. And it really, it really shows like you can really tell that a lot of where he messed up as a father was because he didn't know any better. You know what I mean? His dad wasn't there past that age. You know what I mean? For sure. I mean, there's like, you know, surviving mechanisms and thriving mechanisms at that point, you know, I could only imagine what it's like if my dad were to die when I was that young. Now it kind of turns into survival mechanisms. You're not really thinking of like from a thrive perspective, so to speak, so much like maybe initially, you know, obviously, like initially, I think it's going to be a lot more uh, survival kind of skills and like, how are you going to do this? And you're shooting from the hip. It's like 13 years old with no dad. Dude, you're straight up. You're like six guns shooting from the hip. Yeah, exactly. Hopefully hit the target you're aiming for. Yeah. 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 So, you know, there's there's a lot of things that I've been like, all right, at some point there's a little bit of sympathy on certain things because you're like, I get it. You didn't have a dad. You don't understand how you were supposed to be at this point because you didn't have an example. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think even later on in life, it, it is what made us ultimately like no longer have a relationship because at that point it was like he was a man talking to another man and that he really didn't understand that. You know what I mean? I think the only time it made sense to him was when I was a baby. And then after I was a baby, it was kind of like, well, I don't really know what to do from here, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so it's just, it's one of those things. It's interesting. And um, yeah, like just sometimes life's different. And then, you know, the whole, we we are immigrants and we just know that you have to work hard and, and your number one goal is always to work hard and have a good job. And, you know, and then I think that our generation is very much, like that where everyone's just like well i need to have a good career and then now you're getting into this new generation that's like well who cares about a career i just want to do what i love and make money to to survive while doing what i love you know what i mean yeah dude it's uh for sure it's a very interesting world as far as like that goes too is like what what we live in with you know the millennials or the 20 to 30 years old year olds you know i would really classify that I don't know if that's like the real definition of a millennial, but that age group right now, I feel is interesting. And just like you said, like, I want to do this passion project and like the money will come. Like, you know what? I I do believe in that to some extent. Um, But, you know, it's a different generation. Like when I was that age, you know, I wanted to work right away. You know, that was the thing. I don't, that's the one thing I don't understand. Like when I was 16, I wanted to be the first person in line to get my driver's license. Like, yep. Yep. And it's different now. It's like, oh, if I'm not the first person in line or if I don't get my license, like there's this thing called Uber. Um, I could just jump in <laughs> one of those. Like, dude, I know, no, I know, no. I know 20, 21 year olds that don't have a license. And I'm like, yep. what? Oh, dude, it's a trip. It's like, are you kidding me? Like, like any 16 year old, I'm like, wait, you don't have a license? Like, what's wrong with you? you know <laughs> and then half i got pulled over and i you know and i was all worried about how much trouble i was going to get into because 
I was driving by myself, but I was supposed to have someone, you know, my parent in the car with me at that age. I still had mm-hmm. six months of driving to do before I could drive by myself. And then at the age that I was, they had just started a new law that even if at 16, you can only drive between these hours. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, wow. Yeah. So there was like, oh, you know, all this stuff. And then I'm like, I was fighting against all of it. Like, I don't care. I just want to be driving. I did everything I needed to do. I took the written test. I've taken, you know, driver's ed or whatever. Like, I've known how to drive since I was like eight or nine years old because I had learned in El Salvador. And I was like, I don't need all this crap, but I'm doing it the right way. So when I got pulled over, it was like, oh, come on, man. You know? And then now you have kids that they're like, what? No, I don't care to have a license. Yeah, it's like Uber <laughs> Uber or Lyft or the, the bird scooters. Like, you know. Yeah. Imagine, just imagine, like, dude, well, we had to, like, do something as kids. Like, you had to plan that out. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. It's like you got to hit your homie on the landline because we didn't have cell phones. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? And you're banking on like someone in their family answering the phone or clicking over if they had call waiting. Right. Um, yeah, it was like everything was a little bit of a mission. Yep. Yeah, We'd have to ride our bikes. So easy now. Oh, dude, it's like snap of a finger. A car will be up here. What kind of car do you want? Do you want a nice one? Uh, <laughs> a pile of shit or like mid-level? What do you want? Right, right. You okay <laughs> with riding with other people? You want to be like, alone? I think Uber should have Uber bucket and they just pull up in a total bucket car, you know, like <laughs> a car that like barely runs. I think yes. they're already introducing that idea because I've they seen sh- questionable Ubers in the last Dude, week. They should have Uber bucket, bro. It's like the next category. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Okay, so let's get back to it. You you're you're sixteen years old, dad crashes the Impala. So where is, is there anything in between that and you're now going to school at UTI? Oh, for sure. So, I mean, as far as high school and, and career stuff. So, like, just to give you a little perspective, like, I, growing up, I was always a really short guy. I was five foot, five foot one. Even, like, freshman year of football, I'm the guy that's, you know, front row center. That's, like, usually where your borderline midget player is all the time. Uh-huh. <laughs> You know, just that's where they're posted up. Um, and, uh, you know, so I was always like the small guy. And like the joke in high school was like, oh, that's big, bad Frankie T. Like one of my really good friends used to call me that as like, as, like a total joke. Right. Um, and I think junior year was like I had this gigantic growth spurt. And I'm like six foot now. And I basically I haven't, I haven't grown since then. But it was just this huge growth spurt. And like. Everyone's like, who's that guy? Because I was always just like this short, you know, kid. Yeah. All of a sudden, I started becoming like, I wouldn't say popular, but just, I guess, noticeable because I was taller. Maybe. I don't, I have no idea. Right. Um, But yeah, so, you know, that and then throughout that time of high school, like, I, you know, I always just kind of wanted to find my way. And then my parents were kind of going through the the thick of the divorce um, around that time. So, you know, I, I would I was dabbling and partying a little too hard. I got mixed up with this one guy down the street from my house that was a, a big meth head, and yeah, that just it was just nothing but trouble. Um, it was just a really it was only way I knew how to cope at the time. Like growing up, I was like the the kid at the anytime they had like dare come into school, like I was up there like super interested. I was always like anti drug. I won like a t-shirt contest in I think fifth grade 
Or it's like, say no to drugs, and like, there's a contest for the drawing of the shirt. Yeah, it's who, who's, whose drawing is going to be on the yeah, next the, shirt for your yeah, school, my, right? My, my drawing was on like the say no to drugs shirt. That's um, crazy. And then, you know, here I get mixed up with this guy who's like sprinkling meth into my coffee. Because I'm work, because I'm work, because I'm working for him, right? Uh. And I was like, "Damn, dude!" Like, it was like between summer of junior and senior year, I was working for him, and my parents encouraged me to go work for him. Right? He he okay. had like he was very energetic, and <laughs> loved to talk. So probably uh-huh. like my parents didn't really, you know, it wasn't like my parents like try to sabotage me. They're like, "Oh, this guy seems like legit," you know? Right. Um. And here he is, like, sprinkling meth in my coffee. And I'm thinking that my parents just always use the wrong coffee because they're, you know, we're, we were a U-Ban family back in the day. And uh, my friend had Folgers. And I'm like, oh, maybe it's just the Folgers, you know? Like, maybe, <laughs> oh, man, that's crazy. So, maybe my parents just need to make the switch or something. And then I finally hit this dude up, like, a couple days later. I'm like, hey, man, like, I don't know what's going on. Like I have breakfast here in the morning and I don't eat the rest of the day and I'm just working like a maniac, like 12 to 14 hour days. And I feel great still at the end of the day, even though I didn't eat lunch and dinner. Right. But I feel great. And he eventually tells me, he's like, Oh, I've been putting meth in your coffee. I'm like, wait, what? Uh, And, uh, I didn't even have like an adverse response to it. I was just like, well, that's kind of fucked up, but Sorry, I don't know if I could swear on this. No, no, you're good. Yeah, go you're ahead. Good. Uh, okay, sorry, I'll, I'll keep it down to a minimal. After no, no, the fa- trust me, after I, the got, fastest, I got the worst mouth. <laughs> after fastest car, my, my my younger daughter tells me, bad word, bad word, bad word. Every time. Oh, I'm oh yeah. Yeah, I'm like, oh, man. Um, anyways, uh, you know, I didn't really have, like, a an adverse response to it, but uh, it was just more, wow, that's, like, the relief you get? off of doing a little math I'm like shit sign me up you know 17 right you know so shoot i felt great i felt like king kong like you know you know like uh what was that the movie a training day with denzel you know like, yeah that's what like, you felt like right ah dude i felt like on top of the world imagine like you know i was doing nefarious things back then um and and that was the height of like, you know, I should say the, the birth of the best era of modern uh, gangster rap. Mm-hmm. So like it was kind of cool to be like, you know, doing, doing what you're not supposed yeah. to do, right. you know, right? Um, for lack of better words. Uh, but yeah, so, you know, it was it just kind of like I, I, I believe everything happens for a reason. And it happened to me at that age. And it really forced me to develop healthy coping skills right outside of using drugs so like i'm grateful for all those experiences like it it, it's hard to have that perspective on it at the end of the day but for sure i am grateful for all those experiences because like everything does happen for a reason like i'm on you know we're doing this this thing together right now for a reason i don't know really what we're doing it for a reason right now but like we're doing it yeah no every i'm the same way man everything happens for a reason for sure uh, it, it it's just one of those things, and and I've always told people like when you go through these rough patches in life, you can't always just look at it like, damn, I wish that didn't happen. It's like, well, sometimes you just got to be happy with the benefits that came from those times, right? No, definitely, you know. And while my friends were, 
going off to colleges, I'm like, shit, I'm going to junior college, if that. And then I'll figure it out. And, you know, I went to, I don't know, I think West LA Community College for about like two weeks. Um, and I was like, I just school isn't for me. I, I don't know what excuse I had at the time, but right. I'm, I'm sure I had a great one for the four W's I achieved there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so let me ask you this though. Uh, so at the, at the very worst, uh, point of this drug use, well, how bad did it get? Um, I was sick. Um, so basically while well, all my, well, actually this was, I, I went to West LA college mm-hmm. second to attempt at college. So, Basically, I would say at my worst, it was towards the end of junior year or senior year. I barely graduated. Um, I was literally, I had to get an A minus or above, or so, it might have been a B plus, or it was a B plus or above on my final for government to pass. Like, if, if I didn't pass that class, I wouldn't have graduated. And I was like terrified. And I remember like I had this finish line. It's like all I got to do is pass government. And graduate and like everything was over that's all i needed to do so right. i was like my thinking was so short-sighted all my friends are like planning to go to like all these different schools and they're all stoked i'm like oh shit like i guess i've just been ignoring that those conversations with my friends because it was all like background noise or mm-hmm. i was just high or coming down or whatever you know right. i just never really like paid attention to it too much mm-hmm. i was like i'll just figure it out you know um, so it was pretty bad. I mean, I, I went to, I moved to Santa Barbara to go to Santa Barbara, uh, city college that lasted probably two weeks as well. Um, but I remember I just got like super sick, um, yeah. because I was basically doing meth and then couldn't find meth in, uh, Santa Barbara, but cocaine found me. Uh, I shouldn't say I found it. It found me for sure. Right. Um, just through a network of people that were over at, you know, the random house I was living in, you know, I don't know. It wasn't like I was on like a crazy bender or anything. I was just, I, I think I did Coke for a couple of days and I just felt really sick. And, um, one of my really good friends who I'm still really good friends with today, he's like, dude, I'll just take you to the hospital. So we went to, I think Kaiser, it was Kaiser in Woodland Hills. And I remember I was just like physically just totally withdrawing. Like I was just, my body was just like shutting down and the doctor told me like, dude, you're, you have a liver and kidneys of a 50 year old and you're 18. Um, And uh, yeah, I mean that, that kind of scared me, you know, definitely that night. Um, But when the, you know, the dust settles, you know, it's like game on again, you know? So the dust settled for a little bit of a time period there. Um, I was doing okay. But I was still like, what am I going to do? What's this next thing? I'm not going back to Santa Barbara. It's like total. I was in Isla Vista. That's like party central there, you know? The the fact that anyone graduates, if like someone says they graduated Santa Barbara, like University of Santa Barbara, like just hire them. Because just to graduate (laughs) there, if they lived in Isla Vista and graduated that school, like they're hired. They could clearly balance their lives. Like it's such a crazy party school, but. Um, Damn, that's I, crazy. I didn't go back there. I uh, stayed home. I remember I lived with my dad for a little bit. Um, Did your parents know about this? 
Or they think that you were just like you know that age and you were just partying and you know, you know I I think but. they like definitely knew. I mean, they knew I was you know smoking a lot of weed. Like that, they for sure knew that and that I was drinking. And I knew they had their suspicions, but I I think they don't they didn't want to like talk about it. You know, there's a lot of like. I guess the way we were raised, there's a lot of elephants in the room. Yeah. Right. And the only time the elephants really uh, got brought out would be in like a very hostile, elevated yes. conversation, mm-hmm. which nothing good ever comes out of those. It just kills any trust and loving, any kind of like happy stuff, I should say. Right, 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 right. Mm-hmm. So then what was the... Uh... When did you like? What what made you go? All right, I got to get on my shit and get going. Well, you know, I, so I went to Santa Barbara, then I went to West LA Community College the next semester, and I dropped out again. I'm like, dude, I really got to figure this out. I I, I know I want to do something with cars, mm-hmm. and you know, I wasn't getting as high as as much at that time, but I was up at like three four in the morning, and. I see the infomercial for UTI, and that was right when Hot Rod University came out. And I was like, damn, these fools are working on hot rods. <laughs> and, it, you know, the, the commercial was dope back then. I remember just being like, oh, man, I got to check this out. Right. So um, I was talking to the lady at, you know, it was 3, 4 in the morning, and eventually yeah. she's like, honey, like, I get it. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm just an uh, answering service. I'm not with the school. <laughs> 20 questions all over. Dude, yeah. 3, 4 in the morning, you're trying to get information about Dude, the school? I, I was trying to hit the ground running. Oh, I'm, I'm ready man. at UTI. Man. Um, so anyway, like the next day, the the real, uh, real employee um, from UTI calls me to, you know, go through the admissions process and like, set up a tour um and at this point i think the rancho cucamonga one was like brand new so i didn't want to go there and they didn't have like the hot rod U there yet or something i don't remember what it was but there was something just um semi unappealing about going to the rancho one just for mm-hmm. like curriculum wise um and i hit up my my buddy who is still a really good close friend of mine and i'm like hey dude like you're not gonna finish school like let's be real like i'm like (laughs) that's a good friend yeah i'm like let's be real dude like you barely graduated high school like you're you're just gonna like do this until something happens you know that's the kind of guy he is love him to death uh close friend of mine um he knows who he'll definitely know i'm talking about him (laughs) um but uh so i'm like hey dude let's like roll out to uti and check this school out uh, so we did, and uh, ended up. We both ended up moving out there. Um, my girlfriend went to ASU as well, so like, it all kind of like the timing all worked out pretty well. And you know, that was really like the catalyst to to get my shit together because you know they're telling us about the school. They're like, we randomly drug test you, and I'm like, oh shit! Like the 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 fear of potentially like getting kicked out of the school. Or, you know, not being able to participate because, like, I failed a drug test. I'm like, I, that was enough to, like, really scare me. Yeah. Um, and then I also did uh, participate 
in a in AA a little bit there, um, just to like kind of have some foundation of recovery and sobriety and uh, you know. So I've never I've never been addicted to any substance myself, but I've been around plenty of people who have been, and I think it's interesting that there's some people, in my opinion, who are just kind of dumb, mm-hmm. and so they you know they get into addictions and they use because they're just like they don't know any better they can't they can't fathom themselves doing any better where to me it sounds like you've never really been a dumb person so even though you might have been doing drugs you're kind of just like well i'd rather do this more you know what i mean yeah you know like i have i should say a little bit different of a interpretation of what addiction is probably than whatever we're, it's classified in this country as like a disease Right. I don't. I don't see it as that. I see it as like a coping, uh, like a, a coping skill, like a lack of healthy coping skills. Right. So it's a negative or unhealthy coping skill, obviously. Um, and then there's some part of it that's a learning disability. So, yeah. I mean, you're a dad, dude. We have kids the same age. Uh, Stevie's five years old now. Mm-hmm. Um, love that little girl. She's such a Dude, just anyways, she just went back with her mom. Um, like definitely miss her right after. Um, was she? Can I ask you something? Was was yeah. she sassy? Um, <laughs> is she? Yeah. Oh, dude, she's got personality. Yeah, yeah, definitely has a little oh sass. Oh my god, dude! When she turns it on, it's like, <laughs> damn, dude, who are you? Like five going on twenty. Yeah, Great. I I, fl- I plan to like fully get into the 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 kid conversation in a bit here, but. Yeah, I got one of my two girls is just like driving me crazy with the five going on twenty. I'm like trying to crack down on it pretty hard right now. So it's uh, (laughs) it's it's crazy, right? So what I wanted to say is, you know, like us having kids and being dads and being active in our kids' families, you can see how a child reacts to something happening. So like whatever it is, like randomly say you're out in public and there's like a altercation say like a starbucks or something with like mm-hmm. a customer and it gets heated and then you see what your kid does do they, they don't know what to do so they just like what's safe i'm gonna hold on to daddy or mommy whoever's there right right um so dude this this stuff and it's it's really like oh shit this is the first time i've been in confrontation what do i do and i know as a kid you're not saying you're shit but it's like well this is different there's some kind of weird altercation going on here so now think about that and like as humans like we evolve very slow like the birthing process is nine months dude like and then kids grow super super slow too yeah you know Mm -hmm. like animals it's like bam dude they hit the ground running they're hunting in like two weeks dude yeah like my daughter's five and she's still asking me to feed her you know like (laughs) no no i get it having kids has taught me a lot about you know, when you just go through life and you're just like, man, this person's an idiot. You know, <laughs> I don't know if you do that, but you might have moments or like situations where you're you find yourself up against someone, whatever it may be for. And you're just like, why isn't this person understanding what I'm trying to get them to understand? You know, mm-hmm. and you're just thinking, like, are they an idiot? And then you realize now having children, I'm like, there is so much that has happened in the last five years that I'm like. If for whatever reason I didn't do a good job here, it can 
be an issue 15 years from now. You know what I mean? For sure. So sometimes I see people and I'm like, oh, shit, you just weren't taught any better than that. I mean, something as simple as language, right? Mm -hmm. Just speaking properly. My kids all day long walk around and say things like, uh, I laughed at it. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and I, and I have to, com- and I constantly have to be like, hey, that's not how you say that. This is how you need to say it, right? And then as an adult, before I had kids, when people would in public would say something incorrectly, I'd look at them like, how fucking dumb are you that you can't even properly say that? Oh, dude, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's insane. When you're out in public and you, you know, you're around all different walks of life and you see that stuff, it's like, man. Like even like someone at a restaurant when they're just being super rude to the server, mm-hmm. it's like, dude, like this person's human that you're talking to, right? Yep, right. You know, like if this person, the server, doesn't have like very healthy coping mechanisms, who knows what they're gonna do with that anger once they get home? Right, right. She might inflict that, or he or she might inflict that on their kids because they had a bad day and don't exactly. know how to process that. Yep. Exactly. Or decompress, decompress, do whatever they got to do. You know, it's like, I always say it, like we live in a very crazy world. And then, you know, developing coping mechanisms all through your youth. So like having some kind of trauma or incident, especially in the world we live in now as youth is very high. Yeah. Dude, I never heard of one time ever hearing about someone like worrying about shooters at school. Right, right. Yeah. They have shooting drills? Like, no, we had fire drills. At first, we had earthquake drills. It's like, no, shooter, duck. Yeah. What? what? My my daughter is absolutely terrified of any kind of drill, period, because of the shooter drill. Really? Yes. Hmm. They had a fire drill the other day, and she just hysterically started crying. Oh, no. So the school called us. You know, obviously, they want to let you know your child's, like, having this issue. So then my wife tried to talk to her, and she just immediately started crying. Wow. Wow. So she tells me, like, hey, you know what? Can you try to talk to her? Because I can't. I've tried to, and she just starts crying. So I'm like, all right, I'll talk to her. And then, uh, you know, I'm like, don't use keywords in this conversation. I don't want to use scared. I don't want to use, you know, why Why are you crying? I just, like, sat her down. I was like, hey, come talk to daddy real quick. And she's like, okay. And I'm holding her. I, I purposely am, like, holding her versus her sitting across her next to me. And I'm like, can I ask you something? She's like, what? And I'm like, um, I understand that something might have bothered you today. And then right away, she already knew what I was talking about. And she kind of just looked at me and said, I don't want to talk about it. And I'm like, well, it's something that we need to talk about. You and I need to talk about any and everything that bothers you. And she was just like, okay. And I'm like, I can't. And I, you know, I told her, because I've always told my daughters, like, I, I am the person right now in your life. I am the person who will always protect you. You know what I mean? I do. That is my goal in life is to protect you two at, no matter what. And so then I said, I can't protect you if I don't know what's bothering you. And so when I told her that, and she started telling me, well, I didn't like the drill. I said, okay, well, it's a fire drill. It's in preparation for if there is ever a fire. Like, what about it bothers you? And she's like, it scares me. I'm like, why? She's like, because it's a drill. I'm like, well, what's scary about the drill? 
I'm scared of the shooter drill. And I'm like, oh, okay. Well, this is not the same thing, but why are you scared of the shooter drill, you know? And she just tells me, oh, because I don't want it to happen. I said, baby, honestly, I do not, you know, I pray to God it never will, but I don't think you will ever have to worry about that. But it's like anything else, you need to be prepared, you know? And the good thing is that they're doing jujitsu right now, and I've already explained to them that jujitsu is preparation for if they would ever need to use that, they have it, you know? And oh, I've, that's great. I've thoroughly explained that to them, that, you know, you are learning a skill that could help you out if there is ever an issue not that there will be but if so after you know since i've thoroughly explained that i I was able to tell her look i understand that you're concerned with the shooter but just like jujitsu it is preparation for if there will ever be an issue and so then she goes i go what's the thing that scares you the most and she goes the thing that scares me the most is that you won't be there and I said, oh, okay. I'm like, well, I'm going to tell you a secret. You can't tell this to anybody at school. And she's like, what? I said, if there's ever a shooter on your campus, I promise you I will be there. And then she was kind of just like, okay. Her, her school's around the corner from the shop. You know, I'm like, I don't care what's going on. If I find out there's a shooter at my daughter's school, I will fucking be there. You know what <laughs> oh, I mean? 100%. You know right. I mean? yep. So I'm just like, I, you know, I don't care what your procedure is, how many cops are here. If you're not willing to walk in there right now and take the bullet to save these kids, well, I'm going to fucking be there, you know? So I just told her, and, and it's my daughter, you know, and I'm not, I'm not trying to like, give her the full explanation but all i said was i promise you if there ever is a situation i will be there and that was enough for her to be like okay well then i'm okay with it that's cool it's just one of those things like yeah you don't know what's going to happen and i've always said do we live in southern california we're not going to deal with that you know like but i i don't know that that's true i really don't yeah dude i've put nothing past anyone or anything really you know i don't navigate my life so much like that but i I shouldn't say that i should say i don't let it navigate my life too much but you know it's like dude there's airplanes in the sky that are videoing stuff and dropping bombs and missiles at people you know like (laughs) without without anyone in it it's just like it's a plane with right. nothing in it that's remote control. It's a remote control plane. Yeah, it's crazy, like, man. Before you had to actually like make a fighter jet and nerd out on everything on it. No, it's like now you just make a yeah. remote control one. Yep, the drone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? So Yeah, it's scary, man. But you know, I remember growing up, my biggest thing was like you don't want to get caught up in a drive by, you know? Like that right. was always the fear of this randomness that happens in today's day and age. It's like, well, if we're going to be afraid of anything, I just hope I'm never on that block when, the, you know, these dudes drive by shooting, you know? Mm-hmm. And then now it seems like there's like so much more that people are worried about. And like you said, the best thing to do is just like not let it navigate your life, you know? But it's just, yeah, you know, be, be prepared for whatever might hit come, come your way. Well, I should say as prepared as you can be and right. you know it's like what happens happens man when god wants to punch your clock he's gonna punch your clock so that's I, true that's a very important thing too though i think that having that mentality helps like when your time comes your time comes you know what i mean yeah 
just like living every day. There's a, I don't know if you guys are into sports too much. I don't know. Oh, we have, we've, David and I have talked about sports. Um, John, John's more into sports even more than I am. I'm like minimal and everybody <laughs> is like diehard sports fans. So like the, it was the first SP awards when Jimmy Valvano gave a speech for oh, yep. the V foundation. And like, I watch that shit when I got a recenter. A lot. There's certain people like I listen to a lot. The Jimmy V speech, uh, some Alan Watts, a lot of Alan Watts, um, just to give that perspective. You know, here's this guy yeah. that knows he's dying, and yes. at any point he can really die. And he's sitting there uh, making people laugh, making himself laugh. You know, getting super vulnerable. And uh, I was like, dude, I want to navigate my life like that. And he said, there's uh, three things you do every day. Uh, and and uh, I'm probably going to forget one of them. Um, get moved to emotions. Laugh. And uh, God, I forget the third one. <laughs> but, uh, but like the moving to emotions thing, it's like, it's okay to be emotional you know, mm -hmm. it's what to do with those emotions, not to make like drastic decisions on emotions, obviously, like that, that's never really worked in my favor. It might work for some people. Right. Um, but, you know, like that one speech moved me so much. And like, I always listen to it. It's like, dude, whatever obstacle you might have in front of you, there's a way around it. There's a way through it, you know, um, right. And, you know, like, things are out of control. Like, I almost died in a car accident going to buy a, a Jeep Trackhawk in Oklahoma uh, <laughs> last year. And uh, I just remember, like, coming to, because I got hit head-on. I was sitting at a traffic light on a two-lane highway. This was last year? Yeah, dude. Dang. I, I, yeah, I had, a, had the car for, like, four hours, dude. I was driving through Texas. Um and, you know, Waze and Waze in Texas pretty much tells you to go through people's driveways and shit. Um, <laughs> oh my god! Um, so I'm on this two lane highway, and you know, I was par I was right behind a big rig at a traffic light. So it's kind of like the equivalent of like Pure Blossom Highway here, you know? Mm -hmm. How it's pretty fast and there's there's lights, so you really got to just pay attention. Um, so anyway, I'm, this truck takes off in front of me, and then literally as I see this truck, it's hitting me. It, it, it was going like 70 plus miles an hour when it hit me um, head on. Um, pretty scary, Shit. you know, and I remember just getting out of the car and I was just like, obviously I was bummed about the car a little bit. You know, I can't deny that. Like anyone that says like, no, as long as everyone's hurt, not hurt. If you're a car guy, you're a little bummed about the car. <laughs> yeah, right, 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 <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, Everyone was okay, but I remember just getting out of the car, and I'm just like, I am so grateful I'm not one of those wooden white crosses on the side of this highway. Right. Right. Right, right, right. Like, the car, whatever. Like, I had a, I had a fun four hours with it. That's all I could say. Wow, and, man. Uh, but, you know, it was it was scary. Like, Was the guy know, just, uh, like driving too fast or was he drunk oh no dude it's crazy that it was at like sunset so i figured maybe like something happened with him getting blinded or something mm -hmm. so we get out of the cars and i'm like dude what happened like i went up to the car because 
I, I got out of mine. I had to go through the passenger side because it was all like caved in on the driver's side. Right. Dang. I crawled out and then the lady behind me was calling the cops. So I'm like listening to her conversation as I'm going to his truck. Mm. And I get in, get to his truck. I'm like, you're right. He's like, yeah, <laughs> I think so. And like his hand was bleeding a little bit, but he was good. Um, I'm like, what happened? Are you, are you drunk or high? Or are you good? It's like, no, man, I'm just tired. If anything, ah, shit. So Damn. I just like, I just kind of like felt like something was off. And, uh, I heard the lady with the, the paramedics or with nine one one saying that, yeah, I don't think they, they need any medical attention. They're both walking. They're, they're good. So right there, like prompted me. I'm like, shit, I got to call 911. Something's not right. I just have a sense that something's not right here. I don't know right. what's going on with this dude. Obviously never met him. He just ran into my car going 70. Right. Um, something's weird. So like I couldn't find my phone because it flew out of the cup holder and it was in the cargo area. Okay. So I grab it, call 911. I'm like, can you send, make sure you send medics because something just doesn't s seem right. Like. The guy doesn't remember what happened. He just crossed like four lanes of traffic and blew through a red light and nailed me head on. Like something's just, something's not driving here. So right. cop comes or their cops are super cool. It was in Weatherford, Texas. Shout out to Weatherford, Texas. The coolest, PD. coolest PD I've ever dealt with. Um, very, very cool in how they handled everything. Uh, anyways, we're giving statements and all of a sudden dude, this dude just collapses and I see his heart like going through his chest. Ooh. Um, Holy crap. So what happened, he had a heart attack while driving more than likely. Right. Um, oh, and shit. then the adrenaline woke him up. The impact. So, Holy like, in those, crap. So apparently this happens. Like I, I've never heard of something like that happening, but apparently it, it happens because the paramedics immediately knew to hook him up to the EKG and they could see like, if it was like a second occurrence through the frequency mm -hmm. somehow, right. I, I don't know how they do it, but they, I remember one of the paramedics saying like, no, this is a second occurrence. Damn. Um, so I, I've never seen anyone have a heart attack. It was, it was gnarly. Um, the guy was okay. He ended up being fine from what I heard from the police and he had recovered. Um, apparently like he you know lost his job in florida and family stuff wasn't going so well and he moved out to texas to work with his brother um and yeah like that's probably how he coped with things like dude i just gotta like do the geographical thing i gotta move out to my brothers you know probably working too hard or stressing out god knows but you know just crazy you know, like through through that interaction i was you know, it definitely gave me a crazy perspective on life. Like, like wow, I just kind of, I, you know, especially from that point, I'm just like, dude, every day is a blessing. You wake up, you're like, damn, cool. Yep. That's the way to look at it. Yeah, best way to look at it. You really just don't know what people are going through. No. No. Never. Wow. Yeah, my, my 2020 goal for myself has just been to just let things go and just not dwell on shit. Because I, I, I don't know. I feel like for 2019, I just like really harped on a lot of stupid things. And so when you have that mentality, when you wake up every day and you're just like, I'm just going to not whatever. I'm just going to let shit go. And you like stuff happens and you're kind of just like, wow, 
I would normally be, you know, upset or angry or whatever at this, but it's almost like I want to laugh at it because I'm I'm now trying to look at things as just let it go. And you're like, I can't even believe this crap happened. Like, all right, whatever. And just move on. It just makes a huge difference. Well, it's a practice too because, you know, the people I spend uh, my days with, like Sam uh, with P2 Fabrication, mm-hmm. um, he, you know, I can't, he, he'll laugh. He probably, if he was going to listen to this, he's going to laugh at that part because there's days, dude, that I'm just like super grumpy, can't see the forest through the trees. I'm just like, you know, probably not the most pleasant person to be around. And I have my days, but it's just practicing, practicing that, you know, mm-hmm. dude, we're only in control so much. Right. Handle what you can control and what you can't control, leave up to whatever you believe in. I don't care if you believe in that that grass is real or God, whoever you believe in, whatever your higher power is, there's so much faith that you just got to put in to that. Yeah. Because if you just don't trust that dude, then it's it's like, damn, it's just like this impending doom is always going to happen, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that and that and that was my reasoning for it. It's like you know, I've always noticed that when I try to stay positive about things, the worst stuff isn't really that bad. Yeah. But when I'm when I let myself be negative about things, the best stuff isn't that great. You know, so it's like you're determining what you're with how you're gonna be. Do you want to have a positive attitude, and then the the lowest point will be like, all right, whatever. Or do you want to be negative about everything and nothing great's really ever happening for you? You know, one hundred percent. And you know, it's our brain is a muscle. Like exercising that muscle and practicing certain things. You you know, it's it's an it's a necessary thing to do because, dude, as we get older, you would think that you have less problems, but like, dude, you have more problems. More and more problems occur. Yeah, Especially yeah, yeah. Like when you have kids, those are problem multipliers. You know, you have a wife, that's a problem multiplier. And I'm not saying this in like a bad way. It's just the variables for things to like something to happen, get higher. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. So how do you effectively deal with those things? And how do you get better at dealing with those things? It's like, always do it, you know, and it just always try to get better. Always try to evolve as a person and, you know, like the people around you are going to notice or the, you're going to at least gravitate to the very like-minded people like that. And that, at least that's been my experience. And then, you know, my, my 20 year old daughter, um, you know, when she first met me when she was eight years old, she, one of the first times we hung out, it wasn't the first time I think, but maybe like the second time she chased me around the house with a bat. Oh man. Oh, man. And now we're like homies, dude. Like we talk about everything. Um, really close relationship now, right? Yeah. And she's just like, you know, she's, she's just such a good kid. I shouldn't say kid because she's an adult. Um, but but yeah, like I'm proud of, you know, every, like, I always try to set the bar higher and higher and higher for her. And then also be accepting if she doesn't, you know, she, like, I just, I I was all stoked because I, I went to my, one of my best friends, uh, restaurants he's a excellent chef we actually sat down and had dinner together which you know normally the head chef of a restaurant never does that right um it was just a cool experience but anyways out of the conversation he's like dude does charlie want a job here i'm like yeah i'm sure she'd be down 
So then I like literally got in my car and I'm texting Charlie like, hey, dude, call me. And he's like, what? I'm like, dude, I got you a job at Felix. She's like, you know what? I don't know if I want to take it. Like, it's too, too <laughs> stressful with school. And I was just like, just think about it. You know, I wanted to react. And I'm really like, what the fuck? Are you kidding me? You're not going to take the job at Felix? It's the best restaurant in L.A. Right. You know, and like, I'm like, all right, well, she's going to have her own process. She'll do what she feels right. Like, she does work and go to school and has really good balance in her life. So, like, okay, cool. Like, just all I asked her to do is just give it some thought. She's like, okay. That, like that's the type of rapport we have, you know. That's the important uh, key right there. It's like I was just telling my wife. Like sometimes I feel like I'm so worried about making sure that my kids. There's two things that I'm like always probably overdoing, and that's one is that I don't want my kids to act spoiled, and the other one is that I don't want my kids. Uh, I want to make sure they're disciplined. You know, like don't be running around like you don't have parents and when i tell you something listen to me right when i tell you to do that you know and again i have two five-year-olds yeah so, <laughs> so it's like it's not the easiest thing but I, you know i told my wife i was like i think that i i've been so about that that i've kind of there's certain things i've noticed like in the last six months i've really been on it tough and i'm like there's other things that i'm forgetting to do because of it you know I, I don't want to spoil my kids too much, so now I don't go out and do little things for them, like buy them a little, uh, like a little surprise, you know, because I'm like, kids don't need surprises every day, you know what I mean? And it's just, it's the thought that counts, even with your kids, you know what I mean? So it's like, there's things that I'm like, all right, I gotta remember to do those things, and it's just like, you know, same thing. You want your child to go have this job because you know it's good, but then you're also understanding as to, you know, whether or not she would want to go do it. It's the understanding part, and I think that you know, we we learn as we go, but it's just one of those things that's uh, definitely important to to pay attention to. Yeah, it's like being non-reactive. That's like the the ninja part of like the, the parenting as far as as far as my experience has been right like you want to be the ninja of parenting it's tough don't <laughs> react to like that kind of stuff you know john's and, lucky he's got two boys so <laughs> he, his ninja doesn't have to be as strong yeah but there's an element dude there's an element with everything of being like a ninja dude like how about that irate customer like that crazy situation you might be dealing with at work i mean i don't know how much how much of that you really deal with that Rywire, but I'm sure there's always that thing. Like, even if you have to be on hold with a, a call center for PayPal or something for two hours yeah. to there's get an answer something. over a $10 thing, yeah. you know? Always something. So it's like, you know, it's just how, how do you do that? And, you know, a lot of times I just purge it out. Like, if I'm around people that won't take it personally, I'll just purge it out and I'll be like, okay, I'm cool now. Yeah. Um, that's I try not. Yeah. I try not to ever do that with my kids ever. Like I, I think I raised my voice at Stevie once, and I felt really bad, and I've, I haven't done it again. Mm. Um, but yeah, you know, I think that's just a very, you know, being non-reactive to anything like in in life, being able to digest what's happening because that's what's going on. Mm -hmm. You know, the reaction is not digesting. The reaction is like, whoa, wait a minute. I'm not okay with this. And then it's just like this response 
that creates, you know, probably the, the not the best outcome. Right. So, John's a lot better at that than I am. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> That's for sure. Sometimes. Um, but uh, let me get back into uh, your story a little bit. So I wanted to kind of fast forward. So I know that you went to UTI. What What would you say is like the... Well, here here would be a better way to address it, probably. If I asked you today, what do you do for a living? What would you say? Right now? Yeah. Um, well, I own a few businesses. Um, the one that... Say I'm more, like, I guess, an entrepreneur in some respects. I'm not, like, a highly successful one by any means, but I'm trying to, you know, trying to do what I love to do at the same time also make a living and you know be a good parent and do the things i like unfortunately my hobbies are a little expensive and <laughs> the bar for horsepower <laughs> elevates every time a new product comes out so right. uh, you know true. you know the bar you know like 1300 horsepower is my next bar for a street car i already did 1100 1200 is not that big of a jump like let's go to 1300 so, like, drive a car in traffic in L.A., <laughs> you yeah. know, cross town. Like, that's that's my stress test. for. That's but like you know, the day that you pulled up in the uh, Buick, and I was like, wait, you're actually driving this car? You don't have it on a trailer? Oh, no, I drive it. You <laughs> drove it there. Like, yeah. <laughs> it got trailered to the shop so many times, obviously, because it came in with no wiring originally. Right. And so then I think it came back a couple times, like, on a trailer. But then the last time I saw it, he drove it to the shop and I was like, where's the truck at? And then he was like, what are you talking about? I drove this here. And I'm just thinking like, what? This car looks like a straight race car. How did you drive it here? You didn't even have bumpers on it still. I think, I think you only had the crash bumpers. Yeah, it still has the crash bumpers. I'm, I haven't finished the composite stuff, but, but yeah, like that's, that's my idea of like, you know, it's proof of concept for me. Like, I just got back into uh, working on cars. So a little bit of background. I was a uh, after ETI. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to get I to right there. I worked at a couple, couple independent shops as like a general repair kind of guy. Um, one of my bosses back then, Bob Caret of uh, Precision Automotive Repair out in Tempe. Or, uh, no, not Precision. Premier Automotive. Mm. Um, Bob gave me like a wealth of uh general repair knowledge hot rod knowledge just he had a way of just navigating life and the way he talked like i was just a sponge to the way he approached things um so like everything he told me so you know there came a point where he's just like dude you just got to work in a dealership like you'll kill it like really he's like yeah so I, anyway, moved back to L.A. and worked at Martin Cadillac uh, on and off for 12 years. I, I left for one year somewhere in the midst of that and went to Ellers Cadillac in Beverly Hills, but worked at a caddy dealer for 12 years. And I built cars on the side there. You know, they, mm-hmm. they were cool enough to always let me have some kind of build going on. And um, I just... I had a flat stall where my build was always right next to me. So it's like, dude, I got to like see my build in the dealership. And I did really well at the dealer, uh, incredibly well for a mechanic. And, um, later on down the line, 
2011, I had the opportunity to essentially take over the sober living that um, my parents, it's at my, basically at my parents' house. We were renting the house to a sober living company and they basically abandoned the business, the owners did. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were left with staff, or I should say one staff and a few different clients. And uh, kind of just like, I wanted to get someone else to take it over. Like another friend of mine that did a sober living or something. Like, dude, just take it. Like, I don't want to deal with this. Um, mm-hmm. Like, I just didn't know anything about it, you know? And all the feedback I got from my friends that were in this industry, like, dude, just do it. You'll figure it out. <laughs> I was like, shit, okay. So literally for, I don't know, this was probably when I was 30, 31. Um, I'm 40 right now. So yeah, nine years ago. Uh, I just said, okay, cool. I'll rebrand the sober living. I'll keep the current employee that lives there employed. And I'll just figure it out, I guess. Um so I was doing it simultaneous to being a bumper-to-bumper tech at Cadillac, which that was the busiest Cadillac dealer. It was insanely busy. Like, I would go through 20 to 30 cars a day, you know? Damn. Like, volume-wise. And I was doing, like, heavy, like, I was heavy line. I did some transmission stuff, but, like, I did everything on the cars. Only stuff I didn't really like to do was interior work because, like, you know, when you're dirty, you're not going to exactly go into a Cadillac Escalade that has, like, the brightest right. hand interior. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. you're literally leaving your footprint all over your handprints or anything all over the car. So I ended up teaming up with another mechanic there and we split our hours in half. Um, he's still a great friend of mine and, like, a father figure to me. Um, but yeah, I, I worked there for 12 years and then basically took over the sober living and was doing it simultaneously. So like if I had someone touring the house, I would literally have to run to the locker room. So like usually the way the tour works for a sober living, they're like they might be planned, but the plan changes and it's usually like a day earlier or something. Some like right. super inconvenient times. Mm-hmm. So there's countless times where I just had to run to the locker room, change into like nicer clothes that were in my locker, and then take a customer's car to the Palisades to show the house <laughs> to a sober living client. Oh, um, and then the dealership would be like, "Why are you on a two-hour road test?" I'm like, "Oh man, this car had an overheating issue. You know, like I had to take it up to 405." But you know, and they're like, "Why are you in street clothes?" I'm like, "Oh man, I ran out of uniforms. You know, like I just had every excuse." They want to dirty their car, you know. Like. Yeah, but it was it was a gnarly experience to have to do that, start a business, um, and you know, navigate both and be in a relationship with my daughter's mom at the time. Um, so, like, I'm raising, you know, helping raise her daughter, which is I consider my daughter, daughter Charlie. Um, but yeah, it was a lot, dude. I remember there's so many points where I just, you know was just frustrated angry all the time like it was just a lot and uh i just remember there's like a tipping point here like i gotta do something and uh so the best thinking at the time i had was going to my boss at cadillac and telling him like hey dude i need a month off in december i'm asking you like months in advance i think it was like four or five months in advance 
for basically all December. You know, for like the automotive industry, that's like the probably the slowest season. You know, it's like the aftermarket automotive uh, industry just shuts down pretty much right. for like two weeks of December. But it's just it's it's definitely the same in general repair. It definitely like slows down. Um, so I didn't get a no from my boss. So I basically was like, December came around. I cleaned out my whole work slate of work. Like I had nothing pending, like literally cleaned. Like that, that was unheard for me at that time. Like I always had five or six pending jobs, just waiting on parts or engineer or something. Right. Right. So anyway, cleared my slate, go out, um, just immerse myself into the sober living business um, for the few days. And then uh, I get a call from my boss and they're like, we need you to come in. I'm like, okay, why? I'm like, I'm on vacation. Like, no one gave you the okay. I'm like, dude, I asked you, what are you like talking about? I'm like, sure, I'll come in. Like that, my immediate boss, I highly respect. We're still really good friends. Um, So I come in and the general manager is there. Mm-hmm. and he basically like gave me an ultimatum it's like you basically either come back to work or give us two weeks and you know move on hmm. wow. and like he was always kind of a bully you know like i like to say we're cool i i understand and i i get where he comes from and his upbringing and why he acts the way he does i don't think it's anything to do with me personally it's right. just some like insecurity he has, and I'm able to see that. Um, so I don't necessarily like hate him, but I was just like, it was so like I basically just told him like, yeah, dude, I'm not coming back, and I'm not giving you two weeks. Two weeks is a courtesy. Right. I remember just taking that leap, and I was like, I remember walking out of the office like, oh shit. Just <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, oh man, here's like a career job where you know. On any given year, I made at least 120 to 150k a year, all the way up to like 300 a couple times, um, a couple of years, and I'm just like walking from that, and I just remember that feeling. I'm like, right now, I got to really make sure this this sober living thing works, and you know, develop a pretty cool sober living environment, and then partnered up with one of my childhood friends and opened another house. And then partnered up with another person in the treatment industry and got to this huge, pretty huge company where recently where the business has definitely like slowed down. And I don't know, I kind of have my own issues with the industry itself Mm -hmm. um, to where it was just like, this isn't where I need to be. Like this isn't, this industry has definitely changed a lot from when I started it nine years ago. And I always have this thing for cars and I'm, I'm constantly getting pulled to go work on cars, you know, and recently I had the privilege of working with Celine on their cup car series where I ended up helping build, you know, 20 cars for like just from scratch uh, hmm. for a cup car series that they're doing. And uh, but yeah, you know, it's just like now I'm back right in the like cars and then, Here's, you know, here's like the other side of it. It's like now it's like I'm working twice as hard for half the money. But I like (laughs) doing it. But I like doing it. So, you know, a lot of things have 
happened and like i'm only back in building cars for seven months now and one of my cars made it on hot rod magazine's like instagram page and then they just did a full article on carcraft the the 62 bubble top made it in there um you have to see uh this other car john that car is amazing you it's just uh, it? he who me yeah. i have no i have shared it i'm sure because i was absolutely in love with it when i saw it but yeah, yeah. but like that, the thing that like, car is great thing. Yeah, quite a quite a bit of people paying attention to it too huh oh for sure it's uh you know the the car has a ton of history um to be honest it was a uh, dino don nicholson he uh he's not alive anymore but he was one of the winningest NHRA drag racers in history. It was rivaled that he won like 90% of his match races. They didn't really like keep very good records of stuff back then. Right. Um, and this car was actually given to him from GM to actually race. Oh, wow. Um, and then shortly after, GM pulled the plug of the racing uh, division. That happened in 62. Um, but yeah, there's a ton of history behind it. Um, more where I was going with it was just like all these like very positive things are happening. Like I have a couple really cool, huge builds that are like SEMA quality. I think the Buick, once it's done, is 100% SEMA quality. Yeah, you know? for sure. Um, and I just got to finish it. I just happened to blow up the engine last year at LS Fest and built some nasty engine that's uh it's in the car i just gotta finish it i'm just uh doing a little urban assault truck right now for myself so that kind of just jumped the <laughs> priority of the of the buick but um but yeah a lot of like great things are happening you know we're we're getting a lot of exposure and i feel like it's on the the cusp of like bursting and like you know as far as sam and i being the builders, like Sam's fab work is just next level insane. You know, yeah. Absolutely. There's time. There's times where I'm in the shop. I'm like, dude, just do it fucking simpler, dude. You just spent like <laughs> two hours on a bracket, but when the bracket's done and it's on the car, it's like, damn, that bracket's dope. You know, <laughs> like yeah. he's just like that level. You know, he he, he doesn't just like to get things done. He likes to make it amazing. Oh, dude, it's it's crazy. I mean, he's he's an artist. He's literally an artist, so like, I don't even know if I've ever like told him this, but whatever, he'll probably laugh. Uh, <laughs> but he has that like artist thing to him, where he's just like super passionate, you know. Where you ever see like a movie where an artist artist just like destroys their work right after? Right. That's Sam with like metal. If like there's a oh, piece man. of metal, like that thing's being hucked across the shop. Doesn't happen that often. Right, but there's there's times where he's just like that. He's he's an epitome of like what an artist is, you know. And you're sitting um, there going, "That was perfectly fine for what we needed." Oh, for sure. And uh, <laughs> it's just, but it's cool to see. It's cool to see him in his groove because, like, when I'm in my groove, like putting together an engine or you know doing plumbing on a car, like I nerd out on it. Yeah, I, I'm the same way. I'm like, oh no, dude, like a 45 would have been better there instead of a 90 like oh whatever i'll just go return the 45 or think, the 90 or whatever i think any uh true car guy builds ocd as they really get into it mm -hmm. and and you're always gonna be that way your ocd is gonna start to kick in and things are just gonna start bothering you as you're doing it and so yeah it might take 
longer to do because you're sitting here nitpicking. But when it's done, it's worth it, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, but it's cool. And that's, you know, where I was getting with this was like making this career change back to like, I never really like built cars full, full time, you know? Um, right. But, you know, Celine asked me to build some stuff for, you know, like I never made a batch run of stainless steel brake lines in my life. I made them for cars, like individual cars. Right. You're like, yeah, we need a uh, basically need stainless steel brake lines for these cars, and they're, these lines are super complicated. There's nine hard lines for each car, and there's like three of them that are have like sixteen bends in them that are like seven feet long, long, oh like the middle span because mm-hmm. it has an ABS module and all that. Um, I'm like, yeah, dude, I'm like for sure, I could get it done. So like I leave there, I'm like, holy shit, dude! <laughs> I gotta, I gotta like pull this off now. Um, but I did. I mean, it's it wasn't like I faked my abilities. It's like I pretty much faked my confidence in that moment. It's like, no, I'm gonna make sure I'm confident and I'll handle it. And I did handle it. And then they asked me to stay on and help with production, which I thought that was like, damn, that's cool. Yeah, like I'd I'd love to help with production. Are you are you kidding me? Like for sure. Um, and then I remember just being in the shop, you're in the back, I was back into a shop, you know, I went from my desk at the treatment centers to the shop, at Saline in Corona. So I'm like driving 80 miles. I think it's like 80 something miles from my house a day each way. Um, and I get in the shop and I remember just like that love and camaraderie and the love doesn't show up like, Hey bro, I love you. No, it's like the shit talking and the banter. It's like, no, that guy right. loves me. You know, right. he talks shit to me all day. <laughs> right. Yeah, but, yeah. You know, uh, but that's like, I miss that, you know? It's like where you can be real. Like when you're at a desk in a corporate environment, it's like you have to have a filter on. Right. Um, You got to watch what you say because I could right. end up in a lawsuit. I'm like, oh, okay. Like, you know, it's it was just an interesting, like, like this is what I, this is what I miss. I want to be back in this thing. And then, you know, Sam was doing a lot of work with uh, Celine as well on that S1 project. That's how I got my foot in the door was because Sam was already doing fab work for them. And then, uh, you know, through the whole process, we're just talking about it, like actually partnering up because Sam and I do a lot of projects together. But like I never partnered up with him on P2. Right. So I'm like, dude, I'm just like, we'll just do this. Like, let's give this a whirl and, and see what happens. And like, we're pumping out projects left and right, you know, like doing LS swaps, like, sure, anyone could do an LS swap, you know, anyone could do an engine swap. It's like, how nice did you do it? Right. You know, so like, if it looks like that engine belonged in there and it was, you know, had some styling cues that were specific for the car, then cool. Like, that's what I consider a good swap when, you know, <laughs> when it just, totally doesn't look like what was on the car then that's when i'm like okay cool like that's that's not what a, what a good swap is for me but we're doing a lot of swaps we're doing a couple full like crazy builds that i have no doubt in my mind that these two builds are doing will <clears throat> will end up in sema if it's this year or next year i'm not sure um but yeah it's like seeing all that as an opportunity and then having you know having the mindset to be maintain some positivity and be like, dude, it's going to be okay. Everything's going to unfold the way it does. I just got to put my, you know, best efforts in and work hard. 
and you know like just grind it out it's a grind you know like i'm building yeah. this truck for myself or i should say sam and i are building this truck for myself with like a small army you know of programmers tuners and all this stuff and you know <laughs> the last thing i thought i'd have a problem with is an engine noise because i got a, a pullout engine from a junkyard mm -hmm. okay I'm like oh it's gonna be fine and then bam at the dyno i'm like what the hell is that rattle it's like a rattle Oh, and there's no. glitter in the oil. I'm like, right, oh, cool. No. Like the junkyard's just gonna return that. Like they'll give me my money back. I already talked to them. I'm not gonna go the used route again. And I'm just gonna get the engine. So like I got the engine, I don't know, the crate motor from GM uh mm -hmm. at lunchtime on Friday and it's in the truck and it'll be fired up probably tomorrow by like noon. You know, <laughs> just like get through it. Like I'm so not gonna like sit there and stare at it, just like be proactive. That's crazy, yeah. man. Yeah, it's just interesting to me because that's pre pretty much what I was trying to get uh, out of you is it's like I feel like when I met you, you to me, you definitely like the the very first time I met you, you came off as like the business guy who is also a car hobbyist. You mm. know what I mean? And it's like all of a sudden this Buick comes about and I'm like, wow, this is crazy. But like, you know, you were that guy that comes in and, and you could tell that you're like, always got something else that you got to do and then there's there's business to be done you know what i mean and uh now it just seems like you have gotten to the point where you fully have engulfed yourself back into the car thing and i was trying to figure out how it went from that to this you know what i mean and it's just it, it's interesting uh being in the car world and and how you can get to the point where you're like I want to be back in in the midst of all this. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's 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 been wild. It's definitely been wild. Like uh, I was in a relationship with a great girl when I was uh, going to Saline, and you know, I didn't know how to navigate the relationship. And have the capacity to deal with the relationship once I'm immersed myself back into this car thing. It was just, it's like day and night difference. Like <laughs> to be in a shop with people that you want to be in the shop with is next level. When like, it's like, it's equivalent of being on a great team, you know, like mm -hmm. Golden State last year, two years ago. Like I love sports. So when I see a team that has this dynamic, within them because there's great teams that just they have dynamics but they don't have the culture so right. Right. looking at like a team like you see steph curry uh clay thompson uh draymond green like draymond green's an x-factor he's a shit talker he's a <laughs> guy that sets the tempo on the floor and then you know steph's shooting 50 foot shots and smiling and has his mouthpiece hanging out and like, but at the end of the day, you see this culture within the locker room. Like right. Steve Kerr is probably a big reason for that mm -hmm. as well as the guys being receptive to it. So what I want to do now, it's like, okay, cool. Like Sam and I are definitely more than capable of pulling off whatever build it is. If you want a car that flies, we'll build it. Like I'm very confident we can make that happen. Um, but now it's like, how do we create that team? And we're at a point right now where we have some things happening where um, someone might want to come up around and invest in us. And then we assemble this dream team of people. Mm. 
And gotcha. like, I was asked the question, like, who would that dream team be? And the two people, I, I don't want to blow anyone's opportunities right now, but I'll, I'll keep their names private. But right. um, the two people are like totally down. I like told them what we're trying to do, what the builds would be or what type of builds we would be doing. Um, one guy's shop and he's like, dude, I'm totally open to it. You know? Yeah. Um, and my other friend that wants to be a part of it, he, he, my other friend wants to be a part of it too. And to have that nucleus, like that's, that's the culture you want to have because at the end of the day, dude works about like who you're spending time with. You're spending more time with them than your family. Uh, that's true. You know, I say that all the time, man. That's a very important thing that people need to realize. Like, I want to be able, like, not, I, obviously it's not realistic to, to have that feeling every day, but I want to have that feeling of like, dude, I want to go to work. I want to go to work because I'm going to see so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. And then that we're working on this. It's like so cool. Like right now we're starting a, about to start this E30 project. Um, oh, wow. And it's dope. It's, it's like. It's going to be really cool. It's going to be one of doing? the coolest. Eat. Uh, well, that you gonna... can say. <laughs> so well, just right. suppose, what 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 kind of engine are you doing? It's like the E sixty something or E sixty V ten. Sixty five. Oh, oh, E sixty V ten. In an E thirty. In an E thirty. We're gonna shove that thing back and do something similar, like the Buick. So basically, move the firewall back and place the engine with the customer client in the car and have that thing on scales to where we're 50 50. So he might be sitting in the back seat. Holy oh shit. Oh, shit. <laughs> oh, so this thing, this isn't going to be like a E stock looking E 30 with a crazy swap. This is going to be like a crazy ass like race car, right? Oh, it's a street car. It's our version of a street car. I mean, he's <laughs> the, the customer, you know, definitely like likes all the stuff we've, um cool super cool guy um but he wants to build something radical you know he still wants to have full interior in it um so you know how are you gonna do that well if we're moving the engine back like eight inches now the dash has to move back eight inches to some capacity right right so it's all the little things i mean spending all that time like i don't know how many times sam put me in the car when we were doing the buick for placement, mm -hmm. like where my feet are going to be in relation to the transmission, uh, pedals, like having everything in a very ergonomic, friendly uh, posture, you know, like, because at the end of the day, it's a streetcar. I'm going to do the hot rod tour with the Buick. I don't know if it'll be this year, um, but I'm going to do it. You know, like I'm going to put that thing through its courses. Um, and I have been. I drove it to Utah and back, you know, Did like. You really? Wow. Yeah. No, it's my cars get used. Every one of my cars gets used. There's. It's just like they have four wheels for a reason. You mm -hmm. Create an experience in a car, you know. Like cars, I think are at least for me, I've had very formative experiences in cars um, through my life. So, like, yeah, I use them. Um, but yeah, anyways, the the E thirty dude is like, you know, it's just like nerding out. So I'm like, damn, this guy's like in it. He's like nerding out on what transmission to get, who's gonna build the engine, what kind of uh, ECU and electronics are gonna be on, you know, and it's really cool to see that in a customer, you know, just kind of like, damn, man, like I remember being at that point, like that's super cool. Like this guy's in because that's an investment, dude. When you're building a car like that level, mm -hmm. 
um, there's there's shops that charge a half a million to a million for that caliber of build. Right, we we right. don't charge anywhere near that, you know, because um, we work pretty fast and effectively. Like, we're not redoing stuff. And if you are doing stuff, it's like minor changes that we already anticipated that might be an issue. Right. Um, but, you know, having the know-how and the ability to, like, you know, in, in the car world, it's a very ego-driven thing where yeah. someone will, like, swear up and down they know 100% how to do something. And you're like, dude, you don't know. Like, stop tripping. It's cool. You don't know. Like, but yeah, just to, like, <laughs> have that ability to be like, shit, I don't know. Let me do my research. Right. And then figuring that out and being honest with the, cu- the customers. Like, I'm very honest with the customers. Like, dude, honestly, I don't know much. Like, we have this other project right now that's a... A forty-five Dodge radio car, mm-hmm. basically like a, the nineteen forty-five power wagon of the day. Uh-huh. Yeah. But this was a military use one. So you know, trying to fit what the customer wants within the guidelines. So like, this customer wants a stick shift truck because he doesn't want his kids to be able to drive it. <laughs> <laughs> so that's so, okay. So, so now this is a big, a bigger truck. That's four by like you can't really go a gas motor like you can. It's just far more effective to just make it a diesel. Right. So, you know, Sam and I, you know, collaborated and we're like, all right, cool. Like, what are we going to do? Well, mid 2000s Dodge truck with the diesel stick shift. And like, yeah, I think it's going to all work. We measured everything out that that engine's going to be really tight in there. But like, yeah, well, you know, we're a fab shop. At the end of the day, if it doesn't fit, we know how to make it fit you know right so you know just being having the know-how and it's like dude we have this thing all apart and we're like damn dude this thing's gonna be a tight fit we're like shit we might have to use like a four-cylinder diesel instead now but you know it's I, I the mean, point of just it's just like being honest with like what's going yeah, on and like yeah that's always been a this, big thing for me is like honesty I, I can't stand when people act like they know something and then when it becomes like you know somewhat clear that they didn't know and they maybe messed up or whatever and then then they want to be upset about it or have you know be angry because it's almost mm-hmm. like you, you you caught them on their on their bluff right it's better to just keep everything real you know calm and just like look i'm not sure about that but i'll find out about it you know i'll learn about it i'll do some research whatever it may be and then just just go with it, you know, or, um, you know, let's, let's learn, you know, like, uh, I'm not sure, but let's learn. You know what I mean? Uh I think it definitely helps the situation a lot. For sure. And then like this industry though, like the automotive industry, it's like someone will know, like, I know how to do that. It's like, dude, no, you don't. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you know how to flare brake lines? Like that flare like that thing's just like the nuts gonna f- go through it, and the lines is gonna fly off. That's that's not a flare. Right. Like, you you want to give that back to a customer like that? Like, come on, dude. Yeah. Um, but you know, at the same time, like what motivated to get me like working on cars is like the ability to be able to do it the absolute right way, and the having the wherewithal, and like technology changes all the time, and to be open minded to a different approach on something like like Ryan when I was doing the Buick wiring. Mm-hmm. Like I just wanted to wire up like a simple AEM setup, and then he exposed me to the Motec life, 
Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, downhill from there. He's like, dude, you can have a PDM module in solid state. There's no relays, no fuses. I'm like, shit, give me two of them. You know, like, yeah. But knowing what's out there and like what the best stuff is, because if you're trying to put something on like the SEMA floor, it's got to be something that someone has done before. Granted, there is cars that people have done. Like, I think this year, like everyone did a Supra. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, just being able to put out something that's like, damn, like that's respectable. Like, it's really hard. I talk shit on most cars at SEMA. I'll be honest. Yeah. But that's like the perfectionist. I mean, it's like, dude, they could have done this, this, and this. Yep. Where, I, why I, are they I using think... that? I think the other issue too is like perfect example would be the Buick, right? Uh-huh. Let's say if you decided to get that car in the SEMA as soon as you got it running, that car wouldn't have come out the way you'd want it to come out. Oh know? no, not at all. Yeah, definitely not. Like I want to when that car is like debuted somewhere, it's going to be done like from a mechanical and aesthetic per, uh, perspective, and mm-hmm. it's it's going to be done done. It's not going to be like the the pickup truck at SEMA that has a uh, Bluetooth drive shaft, you know? Yeah, and that's the thing is that I think that these guys have gotten so stuck on the idea of I need to get this to SEMA right. that they they forget about that and they compromise their build. And then they continually compromise their builds because they're just trying to get them to SEMA. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's that's. I mean, I wanted that thing at SEMA like two years ago. And I'm like, yeah. okay, cool. When it goes, it goes, you know? Mm-hmm. But it's it's really hard to like have everything r- exactly the way you wanted it. You know, like the one thing I didn't like about the last engine, it was a wet sump. I want a dry sump motor. That's boss. Like, yeah, the only type of motor there is is a dry sump motor. Let's be real. If you're in the performance industry, that's what you want to see as like someone walking the SEMA floor. If I see this car, you know, this Buick T-Type that was like a virgin car that someone, I could have just done a Regal. You know, right. Right. I didn't have to start with the T-Type. Like, that car has value. A Regal is like $1,000 for mm-hmm. a shell, you know? Um, <laughs> but to take that kind of car and to do that, like, I want to pay homage and respect to that car. So that car in 1986 was the fastest production car. I want to make sure, as long as I own that car, that that's faster than any production car out there. I'll do my best to make sure that that thing is going to be the fastest production car. So, or at least it will be faster than any production standards today. So I think, right. you know, to a certain extent I've achieved it. I haven't like raced uh, every production car in the world, but, but you yeah, know what I'm yeah. I, but I, I get like, what you mean. But to pay respect. So like when you're a car guy and you see certain cars, like, dude, it's like, come on, step it up. Um, yeah. And then there's some amazing ones. Like I look at some of these builders out there, like ring brothers and, stuff that roadster shop does i mean i know they like collaborate a lot um and there's a uh, hot rods by troy um there's there's a few guys that i look at i'm like damn dude like those guys like this is this is the workmanship you know there's there's that gen 2 camaro that uh roadster shop and uh i think it was yeah roadster shop that's like a blue and white one mm-hmm. yeah yeah, yeah. Dude, i think it was just, uh was it like a GoPro car or something? Or, yes, oh, yeah. exactly. That was crazy. Yeah. It's just like seeing the workmanship and the styling. It's like, damn, yeah. dude, that car is like, like that car's sick. I don't know if people realize that when they brought that car out, they really set the bar. 
Oh yeah. And then you know, like one of my friends is the owner of a, a vicious Mustang. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's a million dollar car, dude. Like, wow. Blank check builds. Who has the balls? I don't care how much money you have. Who has the balls to? Because most people with wealth just go buy a car. Right. right? The right. build process of a car, it's not all roses, dude. It sucks. Right. You know, you're dealing with guys like me once in a while. Like, I have a bad day and you're calling because you're stoked about your build. And I'm like, shit. Like, fuck your car. This is yeah. why. <laughs> you <know>? Yeah. <laughs> you know, trying to still like create this really cool experience for a customer that has wealth. Like it's a really niche market to build a full custom car and to pull yeah. it off and to like have that customer be like, dude, I'll do it again. Sign me up again. What's the next build? So like that's our goal between like Sam and I, like, dude, we 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 work on everything. Almost every genre of car, like old school to low rider to hot rod, race car, full race car. Like this car has never seen a street before. And it's like we worked on this one car that, uh, you know, it goes to Germany. You know, it goes to race at Nuremberg. Oh, um, this car travels the world, you know, just are seeing more different places than I am, you know. Um <laughs> But That's it's cool. it's creating that experience for that. So like, you know, my friend Vicious, like the guy that owns Vicious, super cool guy. And like for him to go and spend the money he did, I don't know if he spent exactly a million dollars. I know he spent a lot. So like, let's just to, talk to replicate it. Let's say it's like a million dollar build. Yeah, but it's yeah. like, damn, dude, who has the balls to do that? Like, yeah. if I had an abundance of wealth, I might just want to go like buy a McLaren or whatever. Just like okay, I need to go fast. Like oh, there's I could go to a dealership and the process will be over in an hour. It might take right. me longer to drive to the dealer, but then you're building a car. I think vicious took years. Like that, I couldn't imagine that car is having, ridiculous though. I and, couldn't. And, ima- yeah, but dude, like so the car's done after say three years. I think his build was two or three years. I want to say three years. It might have even been more. Um. But to go through that whole process, right? And then I don't care how good of a builder you are, there's still stuff on the car you got to sort. Right. So then you're sorting out all these little things, dude. So not only did you spend all this money, all this time, when you get the car, there's still going to be little things here and there. Like no one's stress tested your car. Like I like to stress test cars before we get them back to customers, if it's a full build for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you put it through its courses. Um, but then, you know, a lot of builders just don't do that. And I'm not saying that about, uh, vicious's, uh, builders cause like it's a great shop. Um, but you know, there's just, there's just always something you got to sort. Like there's right. always some unforeseeable issue cause you just changed everything. Yeah. You know, absolutely. when right. the, when the dealership changes everything, guess what? They have like a proving ground where they have guys driving the car around the clock. And the engineers are like, oh, we picked up a noise from this area of the car. Like, we need to insulate it more, you know? Yeah. Yeah. People don't realize that either. I think that a lot of car builders get a lot of flack for stuff when there's like an issue that arises. Right. And it's like, you're building an entire car, you're changing everything about it. Yeah. There's, you literally changed all the, you know, if it was a human being, you just changed every organ in the car. And then you're (laughs) at, you're, like wanting them to work harmoniously together like no dude 
something's gonna happen of course yeah yeah yeah. it's really just how you deal with it so it's like if you're a shop owner you jump on it and you get it done immediately you know yep um, exactly that's that's how you handle it because there's going to be an issue it's just like a new car you know there's plenty of new cars that go right back to the dealership and get lemon lot because it just wasn't built right mm-hmm. that's crazy but uh i wanted to bring something else up too that's completely aside from this car stuff that i thought was interesting and that i think john would get a kick out of uh let's talk about your your hobby of playing basketball ah. um i haven't hobby. played in a i haven't played in a couple months i'm just taking a little time off to let my body adapt to working on cars all the time and i'll start uh playing basketball but yeah i've played basketball now i don't know 20 years um i wasn't so good at it in high school just because i was short um mm. And it wasn't like a sport that's, you know, it's not a sport that's friendly for shorter people. Right. Um, but yeah, you know, over the years, just played with some like really cool people. And, uh, you know, through another friend of mine, I got invited to this basketball. Uh, it's like a pickup league. It's not a league. It's a, just a pickup game. So, you know, you're making teams. It's kind of like playground, but you're playing in a, in a nice gym and, you know, little by little, there's just like random athletes and celebrities that came in. Like, you know, like Blake Griffin played with us. Uh, LeBron's son played with us. LeBron showed up a couple times just to like hang out. Um, Adam Sandler plays with us. Hmm. So it's like almost this like surreal thing, you know. Like I, I'm used to kind of being around celebrities just from you know working at Martin Cadillac and being in West LA and just. So I was never really like shocked, but I have to be real, dude. When LeBron walked in the first time, I was like, "Holy shit, that's LeBron James!" <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah. dude. It was fucking surreal, dude. I was like, "Dude, that's LeBron James!" Like I'm five feet away from LeBron James. <laughs> the other thing I think people don't realize too, when especially talking about basketball players, I mean, everybody knows the stats, right? You know how tall they are, right? You see them on TV, and of course, they look like tall guys. But when you have an actual tall professional basketball player standing near you, they look like giants, right? Oh, dude, it's crazy. Like, um, LeBron didn't play that night with us, but Blake Griffin played with us. Joel Embiid played with us. You talking He's about huge. big? He is huge. Embiid played with us. Um, Chandler Parsons um, plays with us. Well, I should say, like, shot around with us. Um, the the interesting you, part to me, too, though, is you got to be... I mean, it's like you said, the camaraderie of being in a shop, right? And the, and the kind of shit talking and this and that. I mean, that's obviously happening on the court, too, right? Oh, yeah, dude. Uh, nonstop, you know? So it's, it's interesting. I remember uh, one time Jarvis Landry and uh, Jeremy Hill um, LSU boys, mm -hmm. football players, foosball players. Jarvis was on uh, the Dolphins at the time, and um, Jeremy was on the Bengals. Um, and I remember I'm like, yeah, these they're football players, so they weren't like, you know, they're not like tall, tall. They're not like basketball player tall. Right. Mm -hmm. but these motherfuckers are strong. I'm like, damn, they're strong, right? So... I remember, like, I, I hit a three, I think, on 
I don't know if it was on Jarvis or or Jeremy, but I'm a three point shooter. That's that's my shot. If you see me taking a layup, like I'm the guy that like people if I made a layup will just completely like joke about it for three possessions, you know? <laughs> um but like I'm a good defender and a, and a shooter, and I remember I just like knocked down a couple threes on them, and they're like talking shit. So like you know they started getting in my face more, and there's a loose ball on midcourt, and uh, Jeremy Hill literally blew through me like I was a tissue paper. I'm like, <laughs> I, I'm not, I'm not a small guy by any means. I'm six foot two twenty five. Like I'm. I'm pretty, you know, like that's yeah. pretty good mass. Right, right. <laughs> um, dude, I remember just laughing. Like everyone was like, I'm like, he literally like threw me like a ragdoll. And uh, everyone was like, damn, you're okay. And I was laughing. I'm like, damn, dude, I don't want to know what it feels like to be in, in the NFL because this is a running back. Right. You know, yep. Yep. right. <laughs> the guys that are tackling him, there's D linemen running. Four second forties, not four oh, but like four nine, right, four right. eight. They're in the fours. D lineman, D lineman, <laughs> someone that can legally like kill you, right? From like right. a human perspective, like this guy's like a straight up warrior gladiator. Like he'll kill you, dude. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and that's the person that's tackling him, and that person just hit me. Like hell no. <laughs> um, it's just cool, you know, like playing with a- athletes like that, and. uh you know my uh, my daughter's uncle, so my ex's brother. He's a really good basketball ball player. He played at Pepperdine and played a little bit at Baylor, and he does some like social media stuff for the NBA. But he's a really good basketball player, and it's like when you're playing basketball with people that have like a high. It's it's rare that you're playing in like a, a pickup league or just a run, a casual run like this, where there's guys with like higher level of basketball IQ showing up. It mm-hmm. just makes the game so much more fun, you know? Yeah. Yep. Like when there's guys like, because you're on a new team, dude. You're like every, you know, every time you play, you could potentially be playing with a different four, other four dudes. Yeah. Um, so it's like learning how to fucking play. Like I think basketball, any sport, but basketball, I think the way you play basketball is also like the way you navigate life. Because hmm. so much happens in basketball. There's so hmm. many different rules. And yeah. you can see someone's personality come out in the way they play basketball. Right. It's like, is this dude like a pass first kind of guy? Is this guy going to play D or is this the type of guy to just like start playing defense when everyone else is starting to play defense? You right. know, there's right, right. so many different per- personalities when it comes to, to basketball and being around these guys, like one of the, the most interesting, like probably one of the people I respect most out of this this run is uh, Mav Carter. He he plays with us once in a while. Nice. Um, that, that's LeBron's uh, manager, business manager. Yep. And yep. Uh, and Rich Paul. Rich Paul huh. plays with us once in a while. But like Mav, I'm more friendly with, and uh, or I should say I know him a little bit better. Um, but just such a like a cool guy. Here's this guy that's like you know essentially creating businesses. With LeBron James, who's probably one of the greatest athletes, and I mean, for the sake of that, like one of the most uh, notable human specimens, dude. Like this guy's like a beast, dude. <laughs> you yeah. know, he's um, built very well. Yeah, for- I mean, this this 
he could legitimately go play football and dominate. Yeah, you know, yeah. um, like put him out there at receiver, dude. Like, come on, um, yeah, right. But just to even see, you know, like just to be around these guys, it's like I always say it: surround yourself with the people you want to be like, and just seeing how like Mav is and just like very friendly with everyone, and you know, all the other. They're my buddies that like playing that in that run. It's just there's like there's camaraderie. There's obviously like shit talking. Like one of my uh, better friends on in that run, uh, Frankie. He's he's on the hills. Frankie Delgado. Oh yeah. So naturally, as being uh, both Frankies, like we've gravitated and had a liking towards each other. Like just a cool dude, you know. Right. Um. But he, dude, when we play, so if we're on the same team, we're like best friends. If we're on opposing teams, like he's a psychological terrorist. Right. right. He's the guy that'll just like take three steps back from you. He's like, let him shoot. Let him shoot. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's that guy, you know? And he's just in. It's funny. We call him Mexican Draymond. That's so funny. And uh, yeah, he's just just a character, you know? But it it makes it so much. Like now I'm talking about it. I'm like, damn, I'm going to go tomorrow and play. Like I haven't played for a while. Um, but yeah, it's just a really cool group of guys, you know, and it's, it's, it's fascinating to see, like, is there most of these people that play in this league are successful in their own industry. And I would probably say that like what I do is the most far from what anyone else does now, like as far as building cars, like everyone there knows, like I'm a car guy, you know, like I had that CTSV wagon and everyone's like, dude, why do you drive that wagon? I'm like, dude. Do you not know what a CTSV wagon is, bro? Fire. This is a black diamond wagon stick shift, all options. This is like a unicorn, dude. Fire. Yep. Um, but Man, it's funny because if anything, some of those dudes that actually have the money to go out and buy whatever car they want, you should be schooling them on 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 the fact that they should buy a better car. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Like that I want to, but I'm like, all right, I won't say anything. Like Adam Sandler has like a Cadillac, and I'm like, that's my boy, dude, Cadillac guy right there. Um, <laughs> and he's he's like, it's funny because these dudes are all like very real. They're very like how they are in public. So how Adam Sandler is is how he is. Like he talks shit on the court. Does he? Um, yeah, he's funny, dude. Like we, I figured, we definitely like banter back and forth, and you know, you can't deny that there's like some you know celebrity appeal like oh my god it's like yeah. Adam Sandler. it's like when you're in the thick of it and you're playing like that's just that's just a guy guarding you you know right and then but it's just like damn dude like we just played basketball and lebron james was watching right with his right. wife and his son Bronny was playing with us like i was on Bronny's team and i was just remember like i was t- i was giving him a pointer on something and I just like stopped myself and I laughed. I'm like, holy shit, I just gave Bronny like a. Why am I telling Bronny anything? I have no business telling him anything because his dad's one of the best damn basketball players ever. Um, well, remember, just- remember uh, those days because it sounds like he's going to be the one, you know, basketball star's son to actually become a basketball star. So. Dude, kid is good. Yeah. I was like, because we were playing, and I was like, damn, this kid, like, I could just tell, like, there's something, there's just something he didn't do that he could have exposed on offense, and he probably just didn't think about it, because we're just playing, like, a pickup game, you know? Right. He but probably I, looked at you like, hey, man, 
I'm not taking it that serious. <laughs> yeah, like I go into the with the intensity like this is a championship game. I'm using my fouls, you know. Right, right. <laughs> I, in my head, like we're playing pickup ball. I still have five fouls. Yeah. I'll use them strategically, like, but you know I, that's how I play. Um, that's what I grew up watching. I grew up watching Detroit Pistons Bad Boys era, mm-hmm. um, and how that morphed into you know when they beat Michael Jordan in the semifinals, I think Eastern Conference semifinals in 90 or 91, and just seeing how like that loss propelled Michael Jordan and right. create like that hunger created him to be like one of the best athletes or best basketball players. In my opinion, still the best basketball player ever because he changed the game so much at that time. Right. Like this he was playing in an era where you could literally like tackle people and punch people. There was like brawls in basketball. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they would just get like a personal foul back then. They might get a technical. Now if you throw blows, dude, you're getting suspended half the season. You're going to have oh, to take yeah. anger, man. Yeah, dude, like <laughs> it's a different game, but like if you remember like those that Celtics team and like the the level of uh physicality like all these teams played with, it was insane. It was such a cool mm-hmm. era to play basketball but that's how i play still right you know yeah you're like i'm playing the way that i i I saw this game when i was growing up yeah like i don't like this modern era of basketball believe me i still love it i still watch it um but where it's like any little thing is a foul it's like come on dude like i think james harden is a great player but almost every time he like does his little step back jumper i'm like dude that's just a travel yeah. Like, I just took like four <laughs> steps before. Yeah. For a shot. Yeah. yeah. Like, oh I God. see what he does. Like, it's a kind of a loophole in the rule and whatever. Good for him. Like, expose the loophole. But he's he's a great player. He's a great shooter. He's very clutch. I don't think he'll ever win a championship. And he's on another team with another guy that I don't ever think will win a championship. But <laughs> you're, break, you're breaking people's hearts, man. I know. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. I'm not a big. I'm not a big Westbrook uh, fan. Yeah. Hey, he's from uh, UCLA kid. He needs to go back to Westwood and learn some more. Something. <laughs> I think he just needs to learn how to be a, a better teammate. But he's like the. I feel like he's that that one player that's going to be the number one player on a mediocre team, you know? Yeah. I don't know if he has to, he has to morph into being the number two and be okay with it to advance in his role. It's just like Andre Godala, dude. Oh yeah. This guy, this guy was like the star at Denver. Where do, I don't remember what team Philly. he was on, right? Was he on Philly right before um, Golden State? Not sure, but I remember him being really dominant at Philly. But here's this guy that can clearly be a starter on most teams and has gone to a place uh, to where he wants to be like the ultimate six man. I don't know if he actually wants to be that. I just assume that. He actually mm-hmm. like wrote a book about being like the six man. Um, I just bought the book for my friend. I didn't read it. But, but yeah, like this guy morphed into being the, the, the six man. I mean, he was a six man that won the finals MVP. Right. I don't know if that's ever happened before. That <laughs> so, was good. Yeah. Um, so just, you know, like basketball is fascinating. I love all like most sports, but 
basketball is just like one of those sports, you know, like I really had a grab, like gravitated toward, towards it, especially like growing up and, you know, Croatia was, you know, we're, we're a newer country, you know, mm-hmm. and here's this guy draws in Petrovic. Oh yeah. That mm-hmm. just like came out of nowhere, dude. And sure. He was on, he was on Portland. I think he was on the trailblazers for like 91 and 92. And, I was like, damn, dude, like, I just remember watching this dude, like, was just incredible, you know, just like, fundamentally, just a great player, very smart, and had this crazy work ethic. Um, It is. And uh, I was just like, super motivated by him. And, you know, I'm like, damn, I couldn't imagine coming here from Croatia, coming to the States, just sit on the bench, because... You're playing with Clyde Drexler, Danny Ainge, <laughs> um, Tracy, uh, Terry Porter, Kevin Duckworth. I forget the whole. I, I'm, that was I'm, a good team. Dude, it was a great team. Yeah. But imagine being the superstar in, you know, in Europe. Yeah. And you're coming here and you're riding pine. You're just sitting on the bench. Waiting. And waiting <laughs> for his turn. And then here he gets traded to the Nets and just blows up. Sure, the Nets weren't great, but. You know, this guy, like, I think he put up 44 points against uh, the Bulls uh, and Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan was guarding them most of the time. And they would go after it, you know. And, yeah, that's crazy. And, like, even hearing Reggie Miller said, who was the greatest shooter he's ever been around. He's Drazen Petrovic. He was good. Um, but, yeah, I was just, you know, being, like, very motivated, like, you know, there is that thing of being Croatian, I think. And I, it's, it obviously could be very true for other cultures and countries. But I think that, you know, Croatians have this chip on their shoulder that we want to, like, prove and, like, have some sense of validation. Like, yeah, we're Croatian, you know, like, <laughs> you know, there's that thing to it. So, you know, being I, first fiercely determined, you know. I think, uh, you know, most cultures have that. But I think that's that's. That's what you want, you know, yeah. as being, you know, being someone who is American w- with with a strong ethnic background. It's always to me, that's that's what makes us what we are, in my opinion, you know, be proud of who you are, whatever it is that you ha- your culture has to prove, be a part of that and then be a strong American at the same time, you know? Yeah, it's like being that I think there's something to be said for being like the underdog or the black sheep and like even Croatia, like was it the last world cup where we won the three games before the finals all in overtime. Mm -hmm. I think the whole tournament play was overtime wins. And dude, like I I can't, I'll never forget those times. Dude, there's time in my living room. I think we beat England and I was, my, my daughter had her little Luka Modric jersey on. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, she just looked at me like I was a complete psychopath because I was yelling off the top of my lungs and like having that experience and just like dude like I just remember like there's a certain level of high that I'm still on from riding that you know like we yeah. to the finals we're a country of like nothing we're, we don't have yeah. many people and we have some of the greatest soccer players in the world and it's a, fascinating to see and we beat a very talented, or sorry, we lost to a very talented France uh, French team, 
Yeah. But like, dude, there's like that level of pride, man. No one could take that away from us, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, and like, I, I carry that chip. I, I definitely carry that chip with me, you know, like I'm going to, I'm going to carry a little bit of a chip on my shoulder and it's going to be perceived as just like ambition and like that hustle. Like I want to hustle. I want to be the best I can. I want to do my best every day. Right. And not settle. Like I don't settle for, for shit. Yeah. And that to me is the important thing. I always, it always is very strange to me when people don't have a pride in, and what they are you know what i mean and and i'm obviously talking about ethically what you are but there's people who in any sense you have to have pride and ambition in who you are as a person you know yeah there's definitely a sense of pride and like this is who we are this is like what i stand for and Mm -hmm. i'm very vocal you know and you know, I I could say that my twenty year old daughter definitely could even see that in me, and like you know, her mom and all the close people around me. You know, like I want to do what I'm passionate about. I want to, you know, I definitely want. If I can, I'm going to build something, like I want it to be the coolest version of that. Like my Buick, right. all I want it to, all I want it to be is one of the best Buicks ever made. That's all I want. Is it a pretty high bar? Probably. <laughs> yeah. Am I going to piss off every single purist because I didn't leave anything Buick on it? Yeah. That's fine. But if uh, they get rid of that purist shit, they're going to be like, yeah, dude, that thing's dope. Right. It is. You know. <laughs> so, you know, building cars like that on a continuous basis, like that's my goal right now. We'll figure it out. <laughs> you know, uh, hopefully, you know, it goes really well and I'm just trusting like that things will unfold the way they, they should and go from there. You know, I'm, I'm never it's funny. I have this like fear of like being broke. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just kind of propels me all the time. It's like, okay, well what's the next educated step to take here to make sure that I'll have enough money to pay for bills. It's like, okay, well I have right. all these jobs lined up now. It's like 20 moving parts. And I function right. really well in that chaos. You know, P2 is just Sam and I. Right. You know, and to, like, pump out what we're pumping out, like, dude, you got to be firing on all cylinders. You know, yeah. no, no pun intended. You can't be misfiring on one or two cylinders and just kind of going through shit half-ass. Absolutely. It's going to show up. Um, yeah. So, you know, Sam and I check in every day, dude. Like, it's it's some, maybe some days we don't we might say like ask how our weekends were at lunchtime or something but just depending on what we go on got going on but like you know we definitely let each other know what's going in our lives and then try to have fun you know try to yeah. talk shit like make light of situations that are personal lives that you know bring levity to a situation i didn't know what levity meant until like i met with a lawyer one time <laughs> and he's like you bring a lot of levity to the situation so now i like use that statement all the time but <laughs> bringing, bringing levity to any situation is what i feel is like the secret to life that's hilarious because like dude what's what's the root of everything like of everything bad i feel the stress like dude remove the stress what do you have like oh shit i don't have a job okay cool so stressing about not having a job isn't doing you shit because you still don't have a fucking job. Right. So remove the stress. So like what opportunities do you have? 
Like, what can you do, you know? So, but I feel like we're all guilty of it to some capacity, but to bring that levity to a situation where you could laugh at something, Mm -hmm. you know, like when my daughter spills chocolate milk all over my couch or our couch. um, And she's like, no, daddy, I just spilled that. I'm like, it's all right. It's cool, dude. Like try to keep that cup upright. It's not supposed to be laid down. She's like, okay. So like innately, she's going to learn the same kind of response and she's super chill like that. She's not super reactive. And then like she brings levity to situations all the time. Yeah. Like, she it's and she does it in the most random times. And this is a five year old. So like bringing that levity and like having I like, see I'm using it. I said it like ten times already. <laughs> yep. But but you know, being able to laugh at something, you know. Yeah, my like, wife my wife's been talking about that a lot because she's like there's so many things that happen now that I, I just can't help but laugh. And then I'm like, well, that's good. You got to just laugh about it. You know, and especially it's like always at the time when she's trying to like discipline. And then one of our daughters will say something and she just starts laughing. And I'm like, roll with it. When that when that happens, you know, just take it for what it is. You're supposed to yeah. laugh about it. Dude, those moments are so priceless too. It's like, I don't know. Being able to laugh at something is definitely a skill and it's definitely something that requires practice and, you know, surrounding yourself with people that do the same thing. Like, I I try not to take life too seriously. Mm -hmm. It's obviously not a joke, but why take it so seriously? Right. It's like, who cares, dude? Like, I stopped worrying. Like, I used to worry about what people thought about me. Like, I don't care. I don't care. I am who I am. You either like me or you don't. You know, yeah. if you like me, cool. If you don't like me, cool. Like, I'd rather figure that out sooner than later. Yeah, that's so always better sooner than later. Find out early. Yeah, and then, you know, just surrounding yourself with like those people that are just like, damn, like, what can I bring to this person and what can I take from this person? Because it's a two way street. Yeah, right absolutely. So, let's try to navigate things like that. It's cool, man. Well, um, I wanted you to. Let everybody know how. So, if one of our listeners, I'm not saying there will be, but if one of our listeners is a millionaire and wants to build the craziest hot rod ever, how are they going to get a hold of you? Um, I would say the best way, well, just from listening to this, is to go on our Insta at P2, as in the letter P and the number two fabrication, um, and message us on Instagram. Um, just like anything right now, that's like the best platform for us to um, kind of just see what we do and what kind of caliber of work we do mm-hmm. um, and get a hold of us, you know. Uh, and we're potentially might move mm-hmm. and might have some big opportunity coming our way. Gotcha. Um, which would enable us to collaborate with the two people I want to collaborate with and have that dream team. Um, but yeah, immediately P2 fabrication at at the Gmail, uh, or sorry, not at Gmail at, uh, Instagram and, uh, yeah, they can get hold of us that way and got some really, really cool stuff in the works and definitely looking forward to what like the, the future holds with this all. I'm going to ask you this then, because I feel like it's the perfect time to ask it. And I've been trying to remember to ask all of our guests this, what is one goal or thing that you want to see happen for yourself in the next, I don't know, you can set the time frame, but in the future. 
Ooh, like personally or business, professionally? It could be professional. I would say professionally right now because that's where you're at, you know, but it could be personal as well. Um, I would say on a professional level, um, just to have the perspective with whatever happens in this experience of building cars again, it's going to be an experience and just to be with it as much as I can. So like try to stay immersed in my passion, you know, mm. like there you go. I want to be a master of this thing. Like, and if I become successful at it, I want it's, it's, there's like a level of flattery that comes with someone saying like, I want you to build my car. I can't yeah. deny that. That's right. like hu huge validation. Um, yeah, I'd say to like maybe develop a little bit more of a, a name in the repu and the, the reputation industry. follows. But yeah, to to have that name in the industry, you know, and I think so much stuff has happened in like six, seven months that I feel that it's gonna happen. Um, right. But just just to main, I'd say maintain being optimistic and be patient because it might not happen overnight. It might it might happen overnight. You just never know. Like one of my good friends, like he he became very popular on Instagram, and he's a, a brilliant driver, and he's part of the Hoonigans. Um, but yeah, just like that can happen overnight, and like his his like fame didn't really happen overnight, and he continuously works at his craft. And his mm -hmm. craft is drifting. His craft is doing crazy stuff with cars. Which if you're gonna do that, you're gonna drift. Because that's probably the craziest version of racing, right. as far as getting exposure. Um, but yeah, so I would just say stay very optimistic and continue continue to surround myself with the people that I want to surround myself with. Say is like the professional goal and uh, personal goal. I would say is uh, get back on the self care kick because I've been deviating from that. Like working out and playing basketball. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And uh, racing. I want to definitely. Uh, I want to do more racing. Um, last year, I got a pretty good taste of my capabilities in in the Buick at LS Fest. Um, and I, I want to go out there and make some waves. There you go. So this week you're gonna play basketball. Message us and let us know who was there. <laughs> damn right and then uh we'll definitely be following along to see how the racing goes and the business goes uh to me i think that it seems like you've been someone who's always been able to to have a plan and, and push through it and i think that this with the passion that you have for it as well is definitely going to bring you success so well thank you Sounds. i agree thank you for being on our podcast today frankie it's been a good one oh uh, hell yeah thank you Appreciate Thanks you, man. Me. Yeah, likewise.